So I got a text the other day from someone, and they asked me the question, what is your take on these forced vaccinations coming to Canada and the world? Is it the mark of the beast to your best knowledge? Now, that's a lot to take in in a text message at 8.30 on a Sunday morning. Uh, But it's a valid question from somebody that I care about uh, and respect. And... It's a good question. So uh, normally when I would answer that question in the past, I would like write a sermon about it or I would um, I would go to a pulpit and I would talk about it for a while, but I don't have one of those right now. So uh, I'm going to do it here. Now, I'm going to read the question again because there's a lot going on in the question. He asked me, what is your take on these forced vaccinations coming to Canada and the world? Is it the mark of the beast to your best knowledge? So there's a whole lot of stuff going on in that question. We have current conspiracy issues uh, surrounding COVID-19 treatment and uh, therapy. We have specific interpretations of the Book of Revelation and other apocalyptic biblical literature. And then what's really underlying that, because I know this person, even though he didn't say this specifically... Is the question is, so what's my opinion on what we ought to do now? He's not looking for me to tell him what to do. He's looking for me to tell him what I think we ought to do, and he's going to evaluate it according to his own interpretations. Now, as soon as you ask a question like this and you put it out into a large audience, you're going to provoke a whole bunch of different reactions. But I want to say this, first of all. This question came from somebody that I respect. This question came from somebody, someone that I genuinely believe wants to follow Jesus, that is trying to do that the best they can. And like most of us, is trying his best to discern what is right and what is true and what is good in, in the fire hose of information that we're all being uh, de- deluged with on a day-to-day basis. So what I'd like you to do is either is just take your biases and leave them on the side. Those of you who that who like know exactly what this uh, this forced vaccination theory is and are, are completely in on it, I want you to just hold on to that at the side for now. And for those of you that are like, this is nonsense, this is craziness, I want you to take that opinion and just hold it to the side for now so that we can actually have a discussion about what it means to follow Jesus in this time and what does the Bible actually say? Because I think that this is an important question to ask. So we're going to start with the mark of the beast. We're going to then go to talking a little bit about the forced vaccinations and then we're going to spend most of our time, which what I th- think is the most important question, what do we do now? So the Mark of the Beast comes from the book of Revelation, chapter 13, verse uh, 11. Starting there is where I'm going to read. So this is what it says. Then I saw the second beast coming out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb, but it spoke like a dragon. It exercised all the authority of the first beast on its behalf and made the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose fatal wound had been healed. And it performed great signs even causing fire to come down from heaven to the earth in full view of the people. Because of the signs it was given power to perform on behalf of the first beast, it deceived the inhabitants of the earth. It ordered them to set up an image in honor of the beast who was wounded by the sword and yet lived. 
The second beast was given power to breathe to the image of the first beast so the image could speak and caused all who refused to worship the image to be killed. It also forced all people, great and small, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on the right hands of their foreheads so that they could not buy or sell unless they had the mark, which is the name of the beast or the number of its name. This calls for wisdom. Let the person who has insight calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. That number is 666. Now, most of you who uh, have a history in Christianity are going to have heard at least most of those words said before, if not read entire, in its entirety. And, and most of you who like horror movies that were made in the last 50 years are also going to be familiar with that. Um, so when people talk about these things, this is the passage that they're referring to. And, and as you've just heard me read, there's a lot going on there. And uh, it, it, it's really, really, really open to interpretation. Um, I'm old enough to have gone through a, a full, full gamut of interpretations of such passages. When I was a kid, I remember hearing that the mark of the beast was going to be a tattoo that you would get either on your hand or on your forehead, which was yet another reason why you shouldn't get tattoos. Lately, I've heard that this is going to be uh, biotech, that, that, that it's going to be an, an insertion of a microchip into our foreheads or our hands that are going to allow us to participate in the economy. And it's only very recently that this is going to come through microbiotech, uh, which will be given to us in the vaccination, in, in, in the context of forced vaccinations. Okay, so... In order to even get to this, we need to talk about what is the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation is a book that was written, we believe, by John. We believe that it was one of the, the later books of the Bible written uh, around 90 AD. And it was a vision that he had of the Lord giving him information on what was to come. And these visions are incredibly graphic. These visions... As I just read out, they, they look and sound like something from a comic book, as you imagine in your head. And what's fascinating is as you read through the book of, of Revelation, John, is the writer, is continually telling you to look. He's asking you to imagine what these things look at. He's asking you to imagine a, a second beast. He's asking you to imagine horns, but it talks like a dragon. He's asking you to, um, to live out all of these things. And, and, and again, like I said, it looks like fantasy animation. I've heard people think that, that it looks and sounds like psychedelic experiences. I don't know, but but I do believe, and this is my bias, that this is the word of God, so I, I wrestle with it. And, and those of us who have wrestled with this book generally come to somewhere around three interpretations of it. The first, uh, and what is kind of common amongst certainly evangelical North America, is that the book of Revelation is a future-looking book. That the events in the book of Revelation have not yet happened. They are going to happen in the future as the world comes to a close. Uh, there are other scholars who believe that that when it was written, when the book of Revelation was written, it was looking towards the future. However, now all of the events of the book of Revelation happened in the past. They believe that this culminated with the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD. So for us in the present... We are hearing stories that happened and stories and visions of what, what happened in the past uh, with the destruction of the temple in, in 70 AD. 
And then there's another group of people that believe it's some sort of combo of both. That, that, that some of these things happened in the past, and yet some of these things are yet to come. Now, I don't want to get into that. It's frankly boring to me. I'm biased. I, I grew up in a fundamentalist Baptist church around people that were frankly obsessed with the end times my entire childhood life. I lived on Prince Edward Island and I spent my childhood being afraid when planes would fly overhead because it sounded to me like the trumpets coming. When there was a harvest moon, I would get nervous because it was a shade closer to red, which indicated that Jesus would be returning. I was terrified by the second coming of Christ. And I was terrified that everyone that I knew and loved was going to get whisked away in a rapture and I was going to be left to endure everything that was to come. The book of Revelation to me was not a book that was encouraging. It was not a book that was uh, a fun place to spend time. It was a something to be afraid of and avoided at all cost. And people that that got caught up in it got caught up in it deep. And I'm old enough to remember that that I remember when Ronald Reagan was going was supposed to be the beast because Ronald Wilson Reagan has six letters in each of his names. Ronald, six, Wilson, six, Reagan, six. Um which sounded like it made sense to my eight-year-old mind until I remembered that my name, Daniel Keenan Taylor, also has six letters in each of those names. Daniel, six, Keenan, six, Taylor, six. So am I also the beast? I remember Henry Kissinger was supposed to be the beast or the Antichrist. I, I, And certainly most of you would remember that Obama was the Antichrist. It's... I've gone through any number of these. And in fact, I remember distinctly that Jesus was supposed to return in fall of 1988. um, Because that was 40 years after the beginning of the nation state of Israel in 1948. We're still here. So... For those that are Christians that are that are experiencing this for the first time or experiencing this kind of end times hysteria, we've been here before. And so I would ask you to take a step back and, and be a little bit calm because those same people that are telling you that that this politician and this activity is a sign of the end times, they have all said that before. But that doesn't tell us about the book of Revelation. I believe the book of Revelation is in the Bible for a reason. And I believe that it's supposed to tell us something. And as you read the book of Revelation, these visions are, are weird and psychedelic and difficult to grasp and, and, and are uh, an effort to get your mind to imagine. But the point is always, throughout the entire book, to show through Jesus, the victory of God over evil. The story is that evil rises up. It has a time where it destroys and causes pain and anguish. And at the end, there is victory for good and there is saving and healing and peace. And it, I find it real interesting that, that for most of my history with this book, 
a lot of people have looked at it as a, as a as a as a guidebook to try and avoid suffering, as if there was a secret code that we could read that would just help us avoid all of the suffering. But that's not what the book is trying to do. Rather than trying to help us avoid suffering, this book is is really a message for suffering and confused people. To trust that the last scene of human history isn't the victory of evil and the destruction of the good and the just, but rather the last scene of history is is God descending to be with his people, death and violence being no more, and there will be no more tears or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. That's the point of the book of Revelation. So I want to say to anyone who is concerned about the mark of the beast or concerned about about which politician fits into which category, which beast is is, is which political party, which which corporate leader is which dragon, what I want to say is that if you're looking in the book of Revelation to find current political figures to fear, current corporate figures to fear, current events to fear, you're using it wrong. The point of the book of Revelation is to, is to provide encouragement for people who are in the midst of suffering and confusion. Not to guide us on how to avoid suffering and confusion. So what about this vaccination story? Now, I looked it up and and I gotta admit that I've heard this from a couple of people all of whom were Christians actually people that I know try and love and serve Jesus and it seems to be spread mostly via Facebook that's where I've seen people talking about it before but basically the gist seems to be that uh, COVID-19 and its treatments including a vaccine are going to be used in coalition with a debt relief program of the World Economic Forum to institute control over the human race and that everyone who doesn't comply with the vaccinations is going to be placed in an internment camp. That's the basic gist. So I'm sorry if I'm not doing it justice. But... The places where I found this to read are incredibly hard to follow, and I, I, I wish I had a better way to do it, but that's what I was able to find. So I'm trying to do it as, as much justice as I can. And it does seem pretty complex as a conspiracy, and I know that for some of some of you, your instinct is to believe it automatically, or some of you, your instinct is to dismiss it automatically, but the reality is we know the conspiracies have happened before. We know that... For centuries and more, churches systemically ignored abuse by their clergy of the most vulnerable. We know that in Canada, government agencies ignored and systematized abuse of indigenous persons. We've admitted that. We know that things like the Tuskegee experiments happened where where African-American men were, were, were given syphilis as an experiment. We know that these things happened. So I think it's a little bit foolish of us to dismiss every single conspiracy as, no, as if no conspiracies ever happened. They do happen sometimes. And we ought to be aware and concerned. But I got to be honest with this one, and I could be proven wrong, but... 
I got to be honest with this one. It doesn't pass my test, which is simply this. That the more people that you need to go along with your plan, the less plausible it is. The more people that you need to keep quiet about your plan, the less plausible it is. So I think about this in, in, in conjunction with the, with the moon landing. There's a lot of people that believe that the moon landing didn't happen, that it was faked. In order for that to be true, as many as 5,000 people would have had to have kept that secret for 50 years. Over 50 years now. And the reality is if human history has taught us anything, it's that, that many human beings can't keep that big a secret. It just doesn't happen. So this plan seems really complex and a little bit difficult to pull off without a whole lot of people going along with it and keeping a secret. And I have and I and I think that more legitimate news sites would have more access to this than your Facebook cousin. Like, I, and I'm not trying to be mean. I just, uh, it just doesn't pass the smell test for me. However, I could be wrong. Because, like I said, conspiracies have happened in the past. They're probably happening now in ways that we don't understand. So, I want us to ask the question. I think it's a really good question to ask. What if it is true? What if this is a forced vaccination by the government? And what if this does turn out to be some sort of mark that allows us to either participate or not participate in the economy? What do we do then? There's a strange reality that we experience as current North American Christians of European descent in that most of our brothers and sisters throughout time and geography have not been in charge. And for most of our living memory, we have been to a certain degree. And this is unusual in Christian tradition. Christianity is a, is a way of following God that, that began in a very pluralistic world, in a, a very fascistic world by our current standards, in, uh, in a very sexually open world by, any, uh, by even today's standards. And, and in its beginning, Christianity was ignored, it was ridiculed, and it was attacked. And, and, and it makes it hard for us as current North American Christians of European descent because we've been spared most of that. And we've been trained to avoid and reject suffering. And what's strange about that is that the Bible doesn't teach us to avoid and reject suffering. In fact, the Bible teaches us the exact opposite. It says that suffering is the tool mo used most often by God to teach his people, either because he loves them and wants them to be, given, be brought to maturity or because he, they are ignoring him and he wants to get their attention. And it's interesting because when we look back to documents of the early church of the first couple hundred years of Christianity, we find letters written by, by church leaders telling people to, to, to please stop being eager to become martyrs. Like, you, you don't need to do that. 
then I think that there's something true with that that about that 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 for most of our history it, it, we believe that it's easier to die for something than it is to live for something and 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 we want to live in exciting and interesting times and think that we're the at the at the in the middle of a of an exciting story but the challenge for us i think for most of us in north american christianity is is to is not to most of us are so let me stop i'm not going to edit that out that was fine but i just want to stop and tell a different story when i was a kid i remember youth leaders so and such and so i'm like in my like very very early teens like 11 12 talking about like what it meant to follow Jesus and and I remember hearing this story they would they would play the scenario they're like what would you do right now if someone came in and put a gun to your head and asked you to deny Jesus you know would you uh, expecting that all of us would like hopefully say yes yes I will I will please, you know shoot me in the head I will not deny Jesus and and I got to be honest with you, I would do that. I would would have done it then and I would have done it today. But the reality is it's a lot easier to die for something than it is to live for something. My challenge isn't to die spectacularly as the victim of a, a massive conspiracy. My challenge is to die to myself daily and to give myself over to, to love for God and neighbor. And I think that there's that lack of a, of a willingness to die to ourselves is one of the things that's led us astray as a Christian church. And I think that there is a passage that, that, that is really important in, in wrestling with how we're going to deal with this current kind of issue of like, is our government out to get us and what ought we to do in light of that? And it comes from Isaiah chapter 8. So... Isaiah is a prophet, and uh, and he's received in the story he's received a message from God uh, to tell the people that because they've been sinning against God, and and just to be clear, the way that they've been sinning against God, if you go to Isaiah, is that they have unjust laws, they have oppressive decrees, uh, they're depriving the poor of equal access to the justice system, and they're taking advantage of vulnerable vulnerable people. So that pisses God off. So. He sends Isaiah to tell them that the Assyrians, the Assyrian Empire is going to come and it's going to roll over them and destroy them. And it's going and and because of their their unwillingness to follow the Lord and have just laws for all people, regardless of economic status. Um, and, and he says this. This is what this is from Isaiah chapter eight, verse 11. The, this is what the Lord said to it with a strong hand upon me, warning me not to follow the way of this people. Verse 12, do not call conspiracy, everything this people calls a conspiracy, do not fear what they fear and do not dread it. The Lord Almighty is the one you are to regard as holy. He is the one you are to fear. He is the one that you are to dread. Bind up this tem- testimony of warning and seal it. Seal up God's instructions among my people. So I find that really interesting that... that God tells Isaiah, like, hey, don't fear the Assyrian Empire. Don't fear everything that these people tell you to be afraid of. You be afraid of me. And it's interesting because Jesus echoes this idea as well. I know we like to think of Jesus as being like, Jesus is just like waving through the streets, being nice all the time. But Jesus says in, in Matthew 10, 26, he says, 
he's sending out his disciples and sending them out. And, and he's saying, by the way, as you go out, uh, don't be afraid of anyone who can kill your body. You should be afraid of the one who can kill both body and soul in hell. Uh, and it's a fascinating moment where 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 Jesus is like, "Don't be afraid of people can kill you, who can kill you. Be afraid of people the one who, when you're dead, isn't finished with you yet." And it's interesting that that for all of this, what God seems to be saying in this moment is that, I, I, in that moment, and I believe what this how, how this applies to our moment as well is that we shouldn't fear Trudeau or Trump or Biden or Kissinger or Reagan or any of these people or some obscure Romanian who's who, who the one who was the beast of the Antichrist when in the 1990s. We're supposed to fear God and we're supposed to obey. And whether we live in circumstances where we have peace and prosperity and hope for the future, or whether we are systemically being rounded up and having our possessions stolen and being taken away, we will have not, then we should still fear the Lord. And even if we are rounded up and having our positions, possessions taken away, even if we are being persecuted for our faith, then we will not be experiencing anything that is different than any generation of Christians have experienced before us. And I find this really interesting that we're very concerned about having our possessions stolen. We're very concerned about having our freedom stolen. We're very concerned about being locked away and having who we are in our bodies belonging to someone else, which is the exact same thing that our African-American brothers and sisters experienced when they came to North America. It's already happened. We won't be the first. So the challenge for us isn't how to avoid all of this. The challenge for us is how to live faithfully in the midst of it. And this is frustrating for me. Because the way that we've been called to live and the way that I've seen historically how we've been called to live is that even in the midst of this oppression, we're called to live joyfully. We're called to live trusting and loving our neighbor and and refusing to live in fear. And I believe that that's possible. And I, and I also believe that it's a way to discern between who is telling you the truth and who is telling you lies. Because I think if you speak to a Christian person who is telling you to be afraid, who is telling you to live in fear, then you ought to stop listening to them. Because we have not been called to live in fear. We have been called to live in trust of God. And even if our freedom is going to be taken away, even if our possessions are going to be taken, even if there's going to be something in a vaccine that tracks us in a way that our phones don't already, we will not be outside the reach and the love of God. The Bible says very specifically that neither life nor death nor powers nor spirituality, you know, nor powers nor principalities nor anything on heaven nor anything on earth can separate us from the love of God, including the actions of the World Economic Forum and including the actions of the Canadian government and including 
the actions of any other agency that you want to bring in here to make it even more complicated. So to answer the original questions, what's my take on the forced vaccinations coming to Canada and the world? I don't know that there are. I find it hard to believe. However, even if it is, I'm going to trust that God is sovereign. I don't think that it's the mark of the beast. Because I don't, and even if it is, the mark of the beast isn't some, something that can separate us from the love and the power of God. And even if all of this is right, I'm pretty sure what we've been called to in this moment, as every other moment in human history, is to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbors as ourselves. So if you've made it this far, thank you for listening to Holy Shit. Uh, anger season is coming up soon. It's going to sound a lot more like this with just me talking because uh, guests suck for the most part. So <laughs> if we can get them, we're going to get them. And if we can't, I'm not going to worry about it too much. Uh, and yeah, if you're into this, please rate it uh, and share it. And if you've got some questions, send them in to uh, Dan Taylor Talks on all of the social medias. And uh, have a good one.